Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Psalm 21. And last week we looked at Psalm 20. So then Psalm 21 is in many ways is like a companion psalm to Psalm 20. Psalm 20 was a prayer for the godly king about to go out to battle. And Psalm 21 seems to be a prayer more of rejoicing and praise and thanksgiving once the king has returned and there's been victory. Okay, and you'll see, maybe if you remember anything from last week, you'll, you'll see some of the links. But sometimes in the midst of maybe a fresh victory and a celebration, we need to be reminded danger still lurks out there. Right? We're not home yet. So, But this psalm begins with a lot of praise. So let's look in verse 1. O Lord, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. So he's coming home, he's won the battle, and he's giving all the thanks and the praise and the credit to God. It was your strength, not mine, that won the battle, God. And it was you that saved us. You gave us the victory, and there's joy. One of the most important things that we can do in our prayer life is make sure there's time for praise and thanksgiving. Uh, we're, we're quick to, I mean, just even think about this morning and this, every Sunday school class I've ever been in at Briarwood for the last 19 years, we primarily take prayer requests. And that's great. We should because we've got lots of needs. And every once in a while somebody's like, i got to praise. And that's okay. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to shift how we do prayer requests in Sunday school. I would say in your personal prayer time, it is great to start with the praise, to start with the gratitude, to start with thanksgiving. Because it's easy to pray for things and then sometimes get answers and then forget. I mean, you remember the ten lepers that got healed and only one came back to Christ? And sometimes we're that way. Maybe not you. Sometimes I'm that way. I'll just volunteer. Let me give a very personal, practical example. My wife and I were uh, walking and talking the other day, uh, I mean this week, about one of our kids and something going on in his life. And then it dawned on me, about two years ago, there was an issue coming up in his life that to us seemed very big, very important. I think it was. And we were praying something very specific. Like, God, please do not let this very specific thing happen. And now two years later, it just hit me. It's like, God answered our prayer. Exactly what we have prayed for. Really in bigger and better ways than we prayed for. In easier and smooth. So smooth in a sense that I didn't even take time to notice it. And it's been that way for months. And it was, but in talking about it with my wife, I realized, you know what? We, we, I haven't. Maybe you have. Maybe you're more godly than I am, baby. But I have not stopped and said thank you to the Lord for that answer prayer. And it's a big one. And so we did right then. Stopped and prayed. And it's just important to try to make a regular habit Look back on past prayer requests and take time to give God the thanks, the praise, the credit. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Look at verse 2. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. And we mentioned this last week, and I'll say it again. God doesn't always give us exactly what we want. He doesn't always give us exactly what we ask for. He doesn't always give us exactly the desire of his heart, of our hearts. But sometimes he does, right? I mean, something like this example I'm talking about, it's like he gave me exactly what I wanted and really even better. Psalm 37.4 is one of my favorites. 
If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And think about the logic there. The more that I say to know, the Lord is my delight. And the more I'm aligning my heart with his heart and I'm starting to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates, more and more often, still not every time, even the Lord Jesus Christ didn't get what he wanted every time, right? But more and more, I'll get the things I'm asking for because my heart will be aligned with the Lord's. And what I've said is part of what I'm wanting us to do this quarter is learn to incorporate the book of Psalms more into our personal time of worship into our personal meditation, our personal study, our personal journal, our personal prayer, our personal worship. Why? Because the book of Psalms really is the prayer book of the Bible. It's the worship book of the Bible. And when you're praying this back to God, you know that you're in alignment with Him. And so has this ever happened? I think it's going to happen this morning for all of us. Have you ever been reading in the Psalms? And you're like, whew, I don't know if I can pray that verse. Well, what's wrong? The book of Psalms or me? It's always me, right? Something in my heart needs to change, not something in the Scripture needs to change. But that's one of the reasons we want to do this is to more and more align our heart with God so that He can give us the desires of our heart and the requests of our lips. Look at verse 3. For you meet Him with the blessing of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on His head. I think most of us are probably familiar with Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, where Jesus says, If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? Think about yourself in your sinfulness with your own children. You love to bless your kids. There's there's a joy in giving them the things they want that are good for them, right? And all that is in us, guys, is a little tiny, dim reflection of the heart of Father God. He is not begrudging in his giving to us. He's generous. He's liberal. He's lavish. And so we should not be ashamed to go and ask him for big and bold things. The gold crown set upon his head, maybe that means he took it off the other king's head because he won the victory. They did that sometimes. Or it may be, I'm back home from the battle. A lot of times you don't wear your crown into battle. I'm sitting down on the throne. I can put my crown back on because now I'm at rest because the battle has been won All of my prayers have been answered for this battle. Verse 4. He asked life of you, he gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. So in a sense, what he's probably referring to here is the king went out to war and he's like, Lord, preserve my life in this battle. And God did. But then it goes further. And if you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 is where God told David, you're always going to have a son to sit on the throne. He promised him an everlasting dynasty. And so David is thinking, you you didn't just preserve my life in this battle. You're going to preserve my household and my name forever. Now, good works, godliness, grows the greatest in the garden of gratitude. And the more we can cultivate that garden of gratitude in our heart, the more just a godly life will flourish. So do whatever you can to take time to stop and praise and thank, even for the small things, for the little things that we can take for granted. And it will always go well. You know, have you ever had a time where it's like, I know I need to spend some time in prayer, I know I need to get some time alone with the Lord, but maybe life is so overwhelming, you're like, I don't even know where to start, I don't even know what to pray about. You ever felt that way? One of the best things to do, just start with praise. It's like, well, there's a lot of stuff to praise for. And if you're like, well, I don't even know. I mean, start with the most basic thing, like, I like the sunshine, God. 
Thank you that we live on a planet with vitamin D and warmth and light and beauty. Start with the most basic things and then advance to bigger things like salvation. So in the beginning, there's just praise. But then he's going to move to a more specific kind of praise, really praising God for his presence. Okay, so look at verse 5. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon him. And, and really what's happening in verse 5, it's, it's a little bit like the shift from praise and thanksgiving into real worship. Or you could say it this way. It's like the difference in thanking God for his gifts and starting to thank God for the giver himself. Right? It's like you have a relative come in from out of town to spend a few days with you and they maybe bring you a housewarming gift or whatever. And you're kind of like, thanks for the gift. I, yeah, the gift's great. But it's almost like, I don't care that much about the gift. I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're home. What I really want is you. And see, what's happening in verse 5 is David is saying, to whatever degree I have glory, to whatever degree there's something magnificent about me and my life, a sense of weightiness, a sense of importance, which, listen, every human being has a, a longing for that. And that's not a sinful desire. When God, I mean, go read Psalm chapter 8. When God first made Adam and Eve, we had a sense of glory. We were made in the image of God. Honor. Right? Just like the moon reflects the glory of the sun, the moon is just a cold, dead rock by itself. It has no glory of its own. But sometimes when the sunshine is reflecting off of it just right, it looks incredibly bright, does it not? And thus our lives are. And the more we're in line with God, the less we're in sin. It's like God is like, I'm going to share my splendor with you. I'm going to share my magnificence with you. I'm going to share my glory with you. There was this old navigator man one time that I heard uh, say this quote, and it's stuck with me. He said, God will only share his glory with those that are humble enough that he can trust them with it. He doesn't want people that it's going to go to their head and they're going to start kind of taking some of the credit. But when there's somebody that's humble and low and willing to give all the praise and the credit back to God, God likes sharing His glory with that person. So, uh, look at verse 6. For you make Him most blessed forever. You make Him joyful with gladness in your presence. Just like we all have a strong desire for a sense of purpose, a, a right sense of glory, of, of a good reputation, we have a deep desire, and it's not a bad desire. It's a good, God-given desire for joy, for gladness, for pleasure. And God says, I'll give it to you. And the main way to get it is in my presence. It's worship. It's nearness to me. It's oneness with me. It's intimacy with me. Okay? Listen, it, guys, it, it is so good and right to pray for. I mean, think about the Lord's Prayer. He says you can pray for, you should pray for daily bread. You, could, you should pray for the smallest, most basic things. It's good to pray for physical health. It's good to pray for financial success. It's good to pray for your country, for your church, for your business, for your family. All, but the, in some sense, our greatest prayer ought to be for a greater experience of God. A greater experience of His nearness, His presence, like He's come close to us. Charles Spurgeon said this, how careful should we be lest we should provoke him by our sins to hide his face from us? Listen, when we're in Christ, guys, he's never going to leave us. He's never going to abandon us. You're never going to lose your salvation. 
He's not going to withdraw it. All our sins are paid for. Past, present, future. It's glorious. But just like you can have a really healthy, strong, happy marriage, and you can sin against your spouse, and you can grieve them at a level where they're like, hey, I love you. I still forgive you. I'm not going anywhere. But you've hurt me, and I don't really want to talk to you right now. Am I the only one that's ever had that experience? And let's just be honest. And it's like, and I deserve it. It's not like I protest. It's like, that makes total sense to me. I'm just going to give you some space. God feels that way sometimes. Because He loves us so much, we can grieve His heart. We can quench the Spirit. We're still loved. We're still forgiven. We're still secure. And yet, our life is not going to have the same kind of gladness and joy because He's going to remove a sense of that nearness and blessing. And that ought to be the thing that we long for and we pray for the most. And when we receive it and experience it, it ought to be the thing that we're the most grateful for and praising for. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, in some sense, is the linchpin of this whole uh, chapter. It really comes right at the center. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. So how, how did David, how did God's people in the Old Testament, how did God's people in the New Testament get to experience all these good things, these blessings, the presence of the Lord and all his gifts? Just through faith. It's not through works, not through merit. It's just trusting him. And it's founded on God's loving kindness, God's covenant-making, covenant-keeping love. That he chose us and then he blesses us. That he sticks with us. Now, it would be really fun to just stop right here because it's a high point. It's all celebration. It's like, man, let's go have a party, right? Let's eat some more of these great snacks and let's just celebrate. And let's, you know, we're done early with Sunday school. But the psalm doesn't stop there and we don't need to stop there either. If, if, if point one is praise and point two is presence, point three is punishment. The, the psalm's going to go really dark really quick. But we need to understand why. Look at verse 8. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your hand will find out those who hate you. Now this is talking about there's going to be future battles. This battle is won, but there are more battles to come. And past successes, past blessings from God should encourage us that there will be future successes against the enemies that we have. Okay? This past victory is a sign of future victories. Look at verse 9. If you think verse 8 is tough, it's going to get tougher. Verse 9. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in His wrath and fire will devour them. Now, this can really bother us. This can be one of the places where we're like, yeah, I don't want to pray the rest of this psalm. Let's just skip to Psalm 22 see what's happening there. Several things to remember here that will be helpful. The first is this. Remember, in the Old Testament... The nation of Israel was the church. They were a theocracy. They were the people of God. The nation represented the people of God on planet earth. And all the other nations were pagans. They were wicked. They were surrounded. So there was a sense of the enemies of the nation of Israel were the enemies of God. And then the second thing, guys, is just, just think practically about what we talked about last week. The king was about to lead his army of troops out into a battle and they were praying for victory. If we were going out to fight other people in a military conflict and we're praying for victory, at some level, if we win the battle, what does that necessarily imply is going to happen to the other people? 
some of them are going to die. <laughs> right? This is just being very practical about the way that things are done. Now, uh, one great commentator, a guy named Mortier, he said this, Life to the king is death to his foes. In World War II, I've been reading this book about World War II, the Nazis were so wicked, were so evil. There's a sense in which the end started to come and they started to be destroyed. It was a good thing. It was a good thing for planet Earth. If we'd have been living back then, we would have been praying for that. Look at verse 10. Again, it keeps getting, in some sense, it keeps getting harder. You thought verse 9 was hard? Look at verse 10. Their offspring you will destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. Now, what is this talking about? Well, remember, especially in a lot of ancient kingdoms like this, if, a, if a one nation invaded and killed the king of that country and you left his son alive, what's he going to do? He's going to grow up and come looking for revenge one day. And so what this is saying is, no, no, you're going to be firmly established. There's not going to be a next generation of enemies that is going to come back to bite you. If they follow in their father's footsteps, they're going to get the same result. They may, look at verse 11, though they intend evil against you and devised a plot, they will not succeed. There's real enemies out there that may be planning evil things, but in the long run, they will not succeed. Verse 12, for you will make them turn their back and you will aim with your bowstrings at their faces. And by the end, we start to notice this is not just talking about the king taking wrath on his enemies. This is God taking wrath on his enemies. Now, I want to talk a little bit of application. Uh, how should we personally, practically pray this in our own lives? Okay? I had a buddy in seminary, and he really struggled with Greek. And so what he would do is any time that he came to a page in one of the books that we were supposed to read that had like too many Greek words on it, he just skipped the page. Well, he didn't end up doing very well in seminary, right? You can, you can, you can see how that's not going to end well. And I know people that read the book of Psalms like that, if they see too many of these imprecatory Psalms, like the curses, they just skip it. Well, you know what? You start doing that, you're going to be skipping a lot of the book of Psalms. Because this is not like, well, Olin just found the worst Psalm in the whole Bible. Like, I just go in an order. And you'll, you'll keep finding them. So how, how are we supposed to apply this in the New Testament? Let me make several points. The first is this. God is a holy, just, righteous judge. As much as God is a loving, kind, gentle, tender father, he's a holy God. Right? We've got to remember that. The second point would be this. God does use the government in the Old Testament and the New Testament to... You to uh, put to work some of his wrath and vengeance. R remember this, guys. The Bible never says vengeance is a bad thing. It just says, what about vengeance? It doesn't belong to us, right? Because we might screw it up. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. But he does delegate that vengeance sometimes to the government. I mean, go read Romans chapter 13. All authority that exists has been established by God. And it says that the government doesn't bear the sword for no reason. And listen, the Romans didn't use a sword to spank people when they did wrong. It was a method of execution. So police officers, judges, the military can be a legitimate use of God bringing wrath 
even in present day. But we're like, but, but we're Christians and we're supposed to love our enemies. How are we supposed to do this? Well, let me say it this way. Part of what God is trying to do on planet Earth, because He is so holy, is He's trying to wipe out all sin. <clears throat> There's two main ways to wipe out sinners, to get rid of sinners on planet Earth. You can either kill them or you can convert them, right? So, the best thing that we should do as Christians is we should start by praying conversion. And I'm, this, I'll share a personal story. Uh, Osama bin Laden, 9-11. I used to pray for Osama bin Laden about once a week. He wasn't on my daily prayer list, but he was I, literally on, on my weekly prayer list. And here would be my prayer. I prayed this almost every week for about 10 years. God, would you save Osama bin Laden? How amazing would that be? It would be like a modern-day Saul of Tarsus coming to Christ. Would it not? I mean, the, but God, if you're not going to save him, would you go ahead and kill him? Put a cruise missile in his cave or something because he's doing so much damage in the world. And then when I got the call one night, turn on the news and see what happened, I think there was an appropriate sense of rejoicing that God had answered prayer. I don't, I, listen, I do think that's a biblical New Testament way to pray as long as conversion comes before the prayer for killing. Fourth point, this is just me kind of thinking my way through how do we practically apply this, okay? This is much harder to think about when you think about normal run-of-the-mill sinners. Do you understand what I mean by that? I have a next-door neighbor who is Hindu. He's from India. He's a devout Hindu. Sometimes I think he's trying to evangelize me into Hinduism as much as I'm trying to evangelize him into Christianity. But he's a very nice guy. He's kind. He's gentle. I mean, he's a vegetarian. He won't even hurt a fly, literally. Right? <laughs> has his vegetable garden in the backyard, shares stuff with me. The thought of him experiencing this, I don't like it. It's not good. I want mercy for him. But when you start thinking about somebody like Osama bin Laden or Hitler, hell starts to make a little bit more sense, does it not? I mean, when you think all the pain and wickedness and evil and destruction that Hitler was the root cause on millions of people and he got out with just suicide. It doesn't seem fair. Not fair in this life. They'll be fair in the next life. And let me say this. This is kind of as a caveat. If you just say, I don't know if I'm fully tracking with you, Olin. I don't think I could pray for God to kill anybody. Okay. Then just pray these imprecatory psalms. Pray them against Satan. That's our real enemy, right? Can you pray that for him? God, be done with Satan. Bring an end to Satan. Destroy Satan. I think we can all pray that way. But I, I will say this, and I think we could all agree about this. This is all just personal application. If anything, guys, when you read stuff like this, and this is what happened to me this week as I was studying, it ought to make your heart well up more in mercy for evangelism. It ought to make us want to be more bold with our non-Christian friends, neighbors, family members, whoever. It's like, if this is what's coming for them at the end and we really believe it, we ought to be more loving. We ought to be more bold. We ought to be more quick to speak up. Right? I, mean, I have friends in my life that I've kind of tiptoed around a really clear gospel conversation and here's the reason why. I don't want to make it awkward for them. And really what that means a lot of times is I don't want to make it awkward for me. <laughs> but on the judgment day, you think... I or they are going to care about social awkwardness anymore? It's 
not going to matter. I'm not saying make an absolute fool of yourself and, and intentionally be offensive. But I think most people, myself included, were far too skittish about evangelism. And, and I think it starts in your prayer life. Because the more you pray like this, the harder it is to be passive. I mean, let, let's just say you had a loved one that, you, that was a non-Christian, but they were very hard and intimidating to talk to. But you started praying for them every single day. At some point, what's going to happen? You're going to say, I can't take it anymore to keep just praying for this person and not speak up. And same thing, if there's some evil that you're praying against, in our country, whatever it may be, at some point you'll say, I can't just be passive anymore. I've got to get involved somehow. Let's start with our prayer life. But there, there is real evil in the world. Now, let's look at the last verse, verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So it comes back and it ends on a high note. Now, other than praying for our enemies, where should this psalm lead us? And I think this is where we should end thinking about. Have you ever had maybe a great day? And, and, and by that, I mean like a great spiritual day. Maybe you finally did speak up, share the gospel with your friend or neighbor, and they actually prayed to receive Christ or came to church. So, there was something that you were kind of like a big answer to prayer. And, 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 and not only that, it's like you were faithful. You actually had a really godly day. You were faithful, you were godly, and then... The next morning, maybe you woke up and it was a terrible morning. Maybe you got into a massive argument with your spouse or a kid or something like that. And you're almost like, how is that the same person? Yesterday was going so great. I was walking so closely with the Lord. And this morning, I feel so distant. God is king. He's winning the battle with us. We get to experience much of those victories but the war is definitely not over. We're still in the fight, guys. Again, as with many things, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's the ditch of overconfidence. Everything's going to be fine. God's sovereign. We're winning. I've read the book of Revelation. We win in the end. What's the big deal? I'm just going to be passive and sit on the bleachers because we win. Not good. Not biblical. The ditch on the other side of the road would just be despair. It's so bad. It's so bleak. Why isn't God hearing us? Why isn't He answering prayers? I'm overwhelmed. I just want to give up. I, you know, I'm just going to circle the wagons and try to protect me and my family and just survive. Just kind of hide, run for cover. It's not good either. Winston Churchill, the last few months of the war in Europe when it was clear they were going to win, Okay? And he had really led the free world through this struggle. Listen to this. This is a great quote. He said, I think this was in a letter to his wife. He said, the misery of the whole world appalls me. And I fear increasingly that new struggles may arise out of those we are successfully ending. Because he was starting to realize the Soviet communists might end up being even worse than the Nazis have been. So what are we supposed to do with this? This sense of, we're still in the battle. The first, every time you face trouble, pray. Whether it's something small like a personal temptation you're wrestling with, whether it's something big in your family that seems really hard, whether it's something hard in your church, whether it's something terrible in your nation, pray. Ask God to help. Second thing, when God answers, make sure to thank Him. 
Make sure to think. Because part of what I have seen that do in my life, guys, when I do a good job of keeping a record of, I prayed for this and got answered. You know what that inspires me to do? Pray for more stuff. It's like, this is real. It works. Like, I know that. I teach that. But like, when you get a really clear answer to prayer, it, it, it's like it just primes your heart to pray even more. The third thing, let, let the past answers encourage you about future coming answers and blessings. Give you confidence. Give you hope. But then fourth, never forget the war is not over yet. We're not home. We, we still live on the roller coaster of this fallen world. And we still live on the roller coaster of our own fallen desires that still battle in our own heart. Things might get worse before they get better. Fifth, please notice, I, I've tried to be careful this morning and say the war isn't over. It's not. But I haven't said the war isn't won because the war is won. The war has already been won. When Jesus Christ came to planet Earth, in a sense, he, he brought the end of history to the middle of history. He said, let me, let me not just tell you the end of the story, let me show you the end of the story. I am going to conquer all of my enemies. Look again at verse 4. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. How could that be true, that David was going to have a son to sit on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever. There has to be an eternal king. The Lord Jesus Christ, the true king of David, is going to sit on that throne. And really the best way to understand and apply verses 8 through 12 is Christ is the ultimate judge who will one day judge all of his enemies in an eternal hell. And there is real evil. There, just like Gary was saying, there are real people out there that have given themselves over to evil, like Hitler, like Osama bin Laden. But guys, when we read this, part of what we have to remember is this. Is you and I on the outside, we don't look like Hitler. We don't act like Osama bin Laden. But what the Bible says about total depravity is that we have the seeds of Hitlerism in our heart. It, never, it may never come to fruition. Sure pray it doesn't. But when I stand before the righteous judge, if I had to stand on my own merit, I'm a goner. Because I've got baby murder in my heart. Even though I've never actually done it. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, all sin is ultimately wanting to un-God God. Like, I want to be God. I want to do what I want to do. When I want to do it. How I want to do it. And forget the consequences. Matthew Henry also said, there's no such thing as a little sin because there's no such thing as a little God to sin against. Remember, guys, there's no such thing as a little sin because there's no such thing as a little God to sin against. Don't answer this one out loud, but just think about it. Would you rather get a speeding ticket on the way home today or would you rather say something hurtful to your wife? I'm going to tell it from the male perspective. Been a male my whole life, so. But you could flip it. Say something mean and hurtful to your spouse. I hope your answer is I'd much rather get a speeding ticket. In one sense, the consequence is it's more tangible, 
But that's a, that's a sin against the state. In the grand scheme of things, it's kind of impersonal. But when I sin against my spouse, I may not have to pay a fine. It may not cost me anything. But I've hurt the person that I love the most on planet Earth. It ought to grieve my heart. And guys, that is the way that we ought to think about sin against God. Not like I just broke a law of the state. Cold and personal. I'll pay my fine, whatever. We ought to think about we've, we've, we've grieved the lover of our soul. And it ought to grieve us. And I'll just be honest. I don't think of my sin that way near enough. Look at verse 7 again. The linchpin of this psalm. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Now that's one of those verses that you're like, that sounds a little exaggerated. Not be shaken? I mean, because I got plenty of times I feel shaken at least. Maybe we don't call it shaken. We can call it stumble, trip, fall. And even if I want to read the New Testament in the Garden of Gethsemane, at Golgotha on the cross, I don't know what words you want to put on it, but to some degree, Christ seems to be shaken to his core. Father, if there's any other way, my soul is despairing to the point of death. Begging his friends, can't you please stay awake and pray with me? I mean, sweating drops of blood as he prayed. Hanging on the cross, my God, my God, why is I forsaken? Listen, Genuine believers are going to struggle. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall because we're still in the battle. We're still in the fight. But this promise is I'll never fully and finally fall if my faith is fully and finally in Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, He struggled. He struggled. But He persevered by faith even when He lost the blessing of the presence of the Father. And guys, he lost the blessing of the presence of the Father on the cross when he experienced hell for his people so that I never have to lose the blessing of his presence. Now, does that mean I'm going to be experiencing it every day? No. When I am experiencing the blessing of his presence and answers to prayer, enjoy it. I got this young Christian I was meeting with at Sanford the other day and he's kind of like, when, when do you get to the point where your life is going too good? And he's like, and I said, tell me what you mean by that. He's like, I just feel like I'm doing the best I've ever done, walking with God, and God's answering all my prayers, and He's blessing me. And I said, wonderful. I was like, enjoy it, because it won't last. <laughs> but, but don't feel guilty when God's doing that for you. Enjoy it. But don't get addicted to it, because the roller coaster of life will put you back in the valley at some point. And when you're in the dark valley, what you have to do is say, just like the Lord Jesus persevered by faith on the cross when He was literally suffering hell for me, when I'm taking these little secondary sufferings that compared to hell aren't that bad, I can persevere by faith because of what He took for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for what You did for us on the cross. We want to experience God. Our head knowledge is so great. Our head knowledge is so strong. Sometimes I feel like I can speak for myself. I'm lopsided, Lord, that my head can be so big with truth that I'm going to fall over because my heart 
is not big enough to hold it up, Lord. I want for myself, I want for all of us, our heart experience of you, of your presence, of your nearness, of your realness, of your blessing, of your smile, to be greater, to be stronger, so that out of the overflow of that worshipful experience that we can go out and not be passive and not be despairing, but we can be bold, we can be loving, we can speak the truth in love, we can confront evil, whether it's a gigantic macro level in our country or whether it's a very micro level at our next door neighbor, fill us full of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth in love, to confront evil, to pray for our enemies, to see many converted, but ultimately to see, Lord Jesus, you come back soon and bring an end to all the pain and sin and suffering. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.